The Colorado Equals Security Podcast is your local source for regional security news, local events, and interviews with key individuals in the region. Now, here are your hosts, Rob Reck and Alex Wood. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. This is the newscast for episode 101 for the week of January 21st. Alex, how you been? I've been good. How about you, Rob? I'm doing all right. I know you've been on a, a whirlwind adventure, so everything back to normal now. Yeah, I was over in I was in India last week, my first trip uh, actually to Asia anywhere. Um, I guess does, do we count New Zealand as part of Asia? I, I, don't, I don't know. I think I probably think maybe so. officially we might, but it did, it didn't feel like it. Yeah, very different, very different experience. Anyway, glad to be back, getting back onto the mountain time time zone, taking a little bit of work. And of course, uh, today, assuming you're listening to this when we um, released it, this is Martin Luther King Day. So uh, happy Martin Luther King Day. Happy MLK Day. Good stuff. Uh, hopefully you're doing something fun to celebrate. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Always. Good stuff. Uh, before we jump into the news, a little bit of housekeeping to go through. We do have a Slack channel. It was a very lively Slack channel this week. Yeah, lots of discussion on the Slack channel this week. I think we had about 30 people join too. Wow. I didn't notice yeah. that, but that's a lot of people. Yeah. Um, had lots and lots of good dis- discussions. Must have been people's New Year's resolution to join Slack. So yeah, it, which is actually the perfect New Year's resolution. Perfect New Year's re- resolution. Yeah. Um, we also, in addition to a Slack channel, have a mailing list. So if you want to get mailed the show notes uh, when they come out, please sign up for that on our website, colorado-security.com. Uh, we'd love it if you would rate us and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. If you're using iTunes or something else that you like to listen to us on, go ahead and subscribe and get it in your inbox every week. And please rate rate us and let pe- folks know that this is the best uh, security podcast in Colorado. Yes, exactly. We also have a Patreon campaign. So if you think that we are so awesome that you're willing to contribute a little of your own financial wealth to help us uh, pay for the show, we do this all out of uh, out of our own pockets. We do have a, a number of wonderful patrons that help us support the show. Uh, go to Patreon and uh, sign up with us. Um, you can find the link for that on, the sh- on our website as well, color-security.com. Exactly. And uh, finally... Um, if you don't want to do that, we would love it. <laughs> if you would, even, even if you do want to do that, even if you do want to do that, I guess, um, yeah, everyone helps in their own way. Um, just tell a friend, let them know how great the, the podcast is that they should listen, that they should check out the website, look at the event calendar, all that kind of stuff. All right, let's go ahead and jump into news for the week. Alex, there is a, a poll out this week and we beat Austin on this poll. In fact, Austin didn't even show up on the poll anywhere. That is pretty cool. Um, I'm not sure if it's something to be proud of or not. I think, you know, for some people, it's definitely something to be proud of. Uh, this is a poll for the best places in the U.S. for vegetarian food. And uh, and as I said, as you might expect, Austin, the barbecue place, did not, yes. make, did not make the list at all. But sorry. But I was going to say, Rob, I'll give you one guess as to which city in Colorado it was that, that was on this list. Uh, Canyon City. Uh, it was not Canyon City. Okay, I'll give you two guesses. Uh, I'll go with Trinidad as my final answer. No, you're completely incorrect, Rob. It was Boulder. Boulder, Colorado oh, was number three on the best places for vegetarian food. Uh, and I believe number two was Berkeley, uh, which didn't, Berkeley, California didn't surprise me too much, but the number one actually did surprise me. It's Charleston, South Carolina was the best place for vegetarian food in the U.S. Yeah, I, I would not have guessed that. Um, next, uh, Broomfield is creating a science city and other developments on some of the sites that they had submitted for the Amazon HQ2 bid. So shunned by Amazon, they have moved on, and they're bringing us uh, the city of the future, a la Tony Stark. Exactly. Uh, they are going to be building the um, the Avengers headquarters there. And <laughs> No, just kidding. Um, they're going to be building a, um, a collaborative environment for researchers and companies to connect, collaborate, innovate, and transfer new technology, ideas, and innovation. Well, it sounds amazing. I think I I still think that the Avengers this, might be there. This sounds a lot better than Amazon's HQ too, with with their piddly fifty thousand jobs. Right. Uh, hopefully, with this new science, they won't lead to taking over the world like Amazon is. So it, maybe it'll be a better thing after yeah. all. Uh, next, we have some news that uh, one of the big companies, at least, has a, a legacy here in Colorado, is is being acquired. It looks like Fiserv is in the process of acquiring uh, First Data Corp for about twenty two billion dollars. That's a lot of money. Um, of course, you know, First Data still has some presence here, had a much larger presence for a long time, um, you know, big credit card processor, among other things. And uh, yeah, so I, I think we're going to be losing the First Data name. I think once they combine, it will all be part of the Fiserv name. 
uh, it looks like the uh, the current Fiserv CEO is going to be the the CEO of the joint company, but the current uh, First Data CEO is going to be the president and chief operating officer of the new organization. So, uh, you know, big parts for both of those, for both those guys. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, so Crocs and an unnamed media company could be looking to bring 850 jobs to the Denver area. So I think uh, Crocs is also still a little bit of, a, of speculation, but this article is talking about um, the incentive requests that have been put in. One of them was in um, a Colorado-based apparel company who they think is almost definitely Crocs. And then the other one was an unnamed broadcasting company who I, I think that they are saying is probably NBC. Oh, really? I didn't um, catch that. Um, okay. But anyway, uh, there are potentially uh, several hundred new jobs coming to the Denver area through these incentives. Yeah, and it looked to me like there's one other company on here on this list, which is a, an a American subsidian of an Indian uh, IT company that recently bought a uh, a company from Colorado. And I was guessing this was Cognizant, just uh, based yeah. on the way the way it read. It's interesting to see these because they you know they try and keep it anonymous, but get you know say enough things to make you get interested in it. Um, these incentives, they don't have to let us know who they are until they actually you know, get paid out on them. Whereas right now, they're just kind of applying to be able to use them if they if they do bring the jobs. Right. Interesting stories. In any case, good stuff. People want to come to Denver still. Uh, next story, Richie May uh, has recently launched a cybersecurity service to help protect hedge fund organizations. Uh, so this is interesting. I, I reached out to JT Gato, who is their what, executive director over their cybersecurity services and, and asked him about this. And, um, you know, he, he, he basically let me know that they are, t- they are targeting small and mid-sized hedge funds for this to help them stand up security programs. Pretty cool stuff. Um, you know, my first thought when I saw this was, you know, if you're brainstorming, what's the organization that n- needs security help and can afford to pay for it? Well, a hedge fund might be the perfect place for that, right? Yes, that's probably a good start for your services, right? They're, yeah. they're going to have a, a little bit of money to, to pay out. Uh, so next, some very disturbing news, Rob. Very, very disturbing that the crypto winter is upon us. Yeah, apparently Game of Thrones has has definitely uh, percolated all the way through uh, press releases about laying people off. Yes. Interesting. So, so Shapeshift, uh, which is a, a cryptocurrency, uh, I believe, exchange, exchange yeah. here in town, um, Due to the the lower prices of uh, cryptocurrencies, has had to lay off thirty seven people, which is about a third of their workforce. Yeah. Um, through the press release, uh, which was somewhat amusing, I have to say, um, which I don't know if you want your press releases about laying people off to be amusing or not. Um, the the founder noted that the the latest crypto winter is upon us, and today Shapeshift felt the bitter frost. Crypto, like the moon we strive toward is a harsh mistress. Yeah. So this is interesting. Uh, <laughs> interesting guy here. Um, but, you know, it is it is a bummer to hear that these folks are, are losing jobs. Obviously, that part is uh, uh, not so funny. Um, the the realities of business, it seems like I've caught up with this company where, uh, you know, he, he makes it pretty clear that they weren't quite as focused as they should have been. And when market conditions were good, that was okay. Something they could kind of hide. And then when they got bad, it became a lot more impactful for them. Um, so they're, they're going to try and focus on their core offering of a of a, uh, a crypto exchange and, and maybe less on the periphery stuff they've been working on. Yeah. So uh, sad for those 37 folks, but, you know, with those 850 jobs we just talked about that are coming, I'm sure they'll find some place to land. Yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of folks looking for that skill set. Uh, next bit of news we have is Swimlane. Um, they basically released a press release kind of just talking about how good the last year was for them. Uh, it's pretty neat to see. Um, they they actually grew, um, well, since the beginning of 2017, they've grown by about 544%, so really good growth. And, and in 2018 alone, they... They, uh, I think they said they tripled their ARR, um, so that's their annual recurring revenue, um, and they doubled the size of their staff. That is pretty cool. Um, hopefully, we can look forward to similar announcements from Swimlane like we do from Webroot, that yeah. you know every quarter they have you know double digit growth and yeah. record this and record that. So well, if congrats to them, if they're able to have a triple ARR every year, um, that's going to be a pretty good run for them. That would be. Yeah. Uh, next. Uh, there was a blog post on the Ping Identity blog this week on uh, APIs, the new security attack vector. So this was actually a guest post 
by a um, by four five one four five one analyst. So Garrett Becker, um, just talking about um, I think things that we have already talked about on the show, how uh, APIs are pro- proliferating and that uh, their security is very important. Yeah, you know, it talks about the fact that as mobile apps become more important, there's always this back-end infrastructure that supports the mobile apps basically using APIs. Um, and, and the organizations have this sprawl. He talks about some facts that on average, uh, companies have about 363 APIs and over two-thirds of organizations have APIs exposed publicly. So interesting, uh, interesting facts that they throw in here about how to look after APIs. So if this is something that you haven't really thought about yet, this blog post might be worth taking a look at. Next, uh, after a long and illustrious successful career, uh, ProtectWise has been named into the SE Media Hall of Fame. Uh, congratulations, ProtectWise. Um, I, I don't know uh, I don't know how you can better put a cap on, on a great career than being elected into the SE Magazine Hall of Fame. I think generally you don't get into the Hall of Fame until five years after retirement. Uh, so this is yeah. this is pretty impressive, right? Yeah, so uh, you know, in the article it mentions that they've been part of their uh, I forget the exact uh, wording that they use, but essentially, uh, you know, uh, they're they're up and coming um, innovators in in network security for the past three years, and that is what led them to be uh, put into yeah. the Hall of Fame. Obviously, you know, all kidding aside, it, it is kind of funny to see a Hall of Fame for a still a startup size company, um, right? But but also kidding aside, it, they do have a neat technology that uh, that's being recognized here, and I think that that's what the recognition is about. Is um, there's not a lot of places out there where you have this. Uh, correlation replay of historic stuff, and and that's you know I think that's what SEC, SE Media is is uh, calling out. Yep, good stuff. Uh, next, there was a blog post from uh, Brian Scriber uh, of Cable Labs uh, talking about security for blockchains and distributed ledgers. So, of course, this is now irre- irrelevant now that the crypto winter is here. But mm. in case you still have interest in blockchains and distributed ledgers, I think this is a a good rundown. Um, of some efforts that they've done to look at these technologies over the past few years and uh, and talk about potential areas that you need to think about if you're using this technology uh, and you know the architecture you have to build around it. Things like uh, smart contract injection, replay attacks, uh, permanence poisoning, other things like that. So if, if you're interested in uh, helping to secure blockchain and cryptocurrency and distributed ledgers, take a look at these areas. Uh, probably something you need to investigate. Cool stuff. Uh, our final story for this week, it's, this is the kind of thing that we generally wouldn't include. It's a press release talking about coal fire speaking at an event, but they're speaking in Davos, which um, the city, the only thing I know about it is that normally uh, all of the biggest financial folks in the world get together and basically plan our economy for the next year, right? Yes, it is the headquarters to the Illuminati. Exactly. That, that is where they live. Yes. Uh, yeah, so pretty cool that, that coal fire is participating in Davos. Um, they are chairing a panel on the cyber future. So that's actually happening this week on the 22nd. So if you just happen to find yourself in Davos, Switzerland, and want to yeah. drop in, say hi to the coal fire folks there. Yeah, pretty good stuff. Or if you are the Illuminati, um, you know, we're sorry. We're not trying to expose you. Um, you, we're, We'd be happy to help with your, your plots. Just let us know what we can do. Exactly. Uh, all right, that's it for the news this week. Move it over to our Slack message of the week. Number one, I want to do a, a big thanks to Andre Gaeta, our ever-present um, sponsor for, for this. Andre, thanks for that. Of course, thanks for Andre coming and doing the interview for us last week. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely a lot of fun. Uh, but as a reminder, he does, out of his own pocket, support the uh, the Slack message of the week. And the winner of this message gets one item from the Colorado Equal Security Store. Yes. So uh, this week, we would like to honor John Von Rader, who uh, goes by Johnny Von Rotten on the, the Slack channel. And he definitely made an impact this week. He just just joined the Slack channel um, and wins the, the Slack message of the week first first week. Um, he has been actually a, a Patreon uh, contributor for a long time, so thanks for that. Um, but he posted a picture of a, a needle point. Uh, I believe it's a needle point anyway that his wife gave him that is um, a needle point of a sticky note with a, a bad password on it. It, it is the most amazing thing password I've ever seen. Password one, two, three, four, I believe, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it, it is great. I, I told him that he should have his wife, you know, make multiples of those and, and yeah. sell them at security conferences. People would love that. Yeah. It was pretty cute and uh, a neat thing to get to share. So thanks for doing that. And of course, we'll reach out to you and Andre about getting you hooked up with your, your swag. Uh, move it over. We have a calendar of events on the website, colorado-security.com. You can go see everything going on here throughout the next few months. 
Um, as of the next couple of weeks, though, we do have the ISC Squared P Pikes Peak January meeting on the 23rd. On the 24th, SecureSet is doing an info night at Swim Lane. Also on the 24th, we have a Splunk meetup with the Boss of the Sock competition. Ooh. On the 25th, the CTA is doing their office hours with Davis, Grams, and Stubbs and the Foundry Group. Um, on the 28th, the GDPR meetup is getting together to talk about Data Privacy Day, or maybe this is Data Privacy Day, I'm not sure, focused on privacy trends for 2019. And finally, on the 30th, SecureSet is doing one of their Capture the Flag events. Uh, you know, that's it for the next couple of weeks. Uh, just to call out, we do have a couple of fun events coming up in the next few months. Um, Snowfrock is scheduled for the 14th of March. That is the big OWASP uh Colorado conference that happens every year. They'll bring in folks from all around the world. I know Jim Manico comes in from Hawaii and um, generally, you know, we get, get really good speakers to come be a part of this conference. I'm looking forward to that as well. Yeah. I was actually uh, talking to Matt Schufeld about this, that this week. Um, I believe Troy Hunt is going to be one of the people that is speaking. Wow. Um, that's great. So that, yeah, that is pretty cool. Um, also, Coming up in June is the Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. That is the 4th through the 6th of June. Uh, right now, our call for papers is open. So if you are interested in speaking at the conference, please sign up for that. Uh, we are also accepting sponsors. So if you are a company that wants to reach out to the Colorado community, please go sponsor the conference as well. And we are um, very close to announcing the keynotes for Rocky Mountain Information Security Conference. We've got them all set. Just got to wait for all the ink to dry on the contracts, and we're going to be talking about those. So look forward to announcements on that pretty well, soon. I'm excited to hear about the keynotes. Yeah. Uh, for the call for papers, I'd say if you're listening to this and, and you're wondering, you know, if a guy like you or a gal like you should talk at this, the answer is absolutely yes. You know, what we're mostly looking for are practitioners, um, you know, practitioners here from Colorado who want to talk about things they've learned through their job, either case studies, you know, talk about projects you've done, research you've seen, you know, if you've been through it into interesting incident and you want to talk through how that went. Those are the kind of things we really look forward to. You know, we'd rather not bring in folks from outside of the area for most of these talks if we could avoid it. Um, so, you know, please do submit if this is something you're interested in doing. Yeah. I would say if you submit a case study, um, then it is a very high likelihood that you will get selected. Yeah. Case studies are always great. Yeah. Good stuff. All right. Let's move on to jobs. Um, first, there are a couple jobs at identity. Yeah. So I'll start off with one. I'm hiring a manager of security operations and engineering. Uh, if this is something that's interesting to you, you can send me a note on the Slack channel, uh, but you, you need to apply on the website either way, but i um, happy to talk to you about it. Let you know what's going on with that position. Second thing we're looking to hire at ping is a GRC analyst. This is someone to help us with things like our, our SOC two, our ISO certification, our vendor risk management, business continuity, incident response, kind of all that GRC type stuff. This is a more entry level. We have some seniors on that team. So looking for someone to, to help support the work that they're doing. Uh, next, WellTalk is looking for a director of security and compliance. This is actually uh, to replace Travis Shack, who is leaving uh, WellTalk. So uh, if you want information about it, I'm sure Travis would be happy to talk to you about He's it. He's on the Slack channel too. He reached out to him there. Um, next, there is an opening for Array Biopharma hiring an IT security and risk manager slash director. I guess you just get to pick which title. It sounds like it. Uh, Centura Health is looking for a data security risk management lead. The city of Aurora is hiring an information security engineer. Uh, the city and county of Denver, uh, specifically uh, DIA, is looking for an information security specialist. U.S. Bank is hiring an information security systems architect. Dish Network is looking for a cybersecurity threat analyst. Strava or Strava? I'm not sure. Strava, which. I believe. Strava is hiring a security site reliability engineer focused on infrastructure. And Strava is, uh, looks like it's an app for kind of monitoring your bike rides and exercise. Yep. Stuff. Yeah, I believe that they're based community. out of Boulder. They are in Boulder. Yeah. I looked it up. Um, and then finally, the Arcanum Group is looking for a cybersecurity intern. Uh, good stuff. Well, yeah. that is it for our news for this week. Um, our feature interview this week is actually, you sat down with Chris, Chris Peterson, the, the oh, co-founder yeah. and CTO over at Logarithm. Yeah, uh, we had a nice conversation, um, talked about Logarithm, their, their past, present, and future, and uh, it's a good conversation. Awesome. Well, that's it for this week. We'll look forward to talking to you again next week. Awesome. All right, see you then. Thanks, Rob. Thanks, Rob.
is James Carter, CISO at Logarithm. This is Colorado Equal Security for Colorado Security Professionals by Colorado Security Professionals. Welcome to Colorado Equal Security. Uh, this is Alex Wood and I'm here today with a very special interview guest, uh, Chris Peterson, CTO and co-founder of Logarithm. Chris, how are you doing? I'm well. Awesome. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing great. Good. Um, you know, as we were talking earlier, it's a little bit chilly. Indeed. But besides that, um, yeah. I think we're, we've missed fall. It is, it's officially winter-ish now. Yeah, I know, it's too quick. I need to get a few more uh, rides in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I was actually um, in the elevator with somebody yesterday and they, were, they had their helmet on and everything and they were worried about having to ride home you know, in the snow and the, right. the impending winter. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. Eh, you know, just put snow tires on your bike. You'll be fine. You'll <laughs> yeah, be fine. Right. <laughs> um, so thanks for taking a little bit of time to talk to us today. Uh, appreciate it. Sure. So I, I guess why don't we start and, and talk about um, you and, and your past and, and how you got into security and, and kind of how you got to, to where you are today. So uh, did, did you start your career doing security? Um, for, for the most part, you know, I began my career at uh, at Price Waterhouse. Um, I, um, you know, I was part of their part of the audit side of the firm, and um, about a year into it, I, um, you know, I, I, I uh, was introduced to their EDP audit um, uh, team and, and function, and, and that uh, spiked an in interest because I had a um, information systems um, you know, concentration in my college degree, yeah. and so I, I like the system side, and when I found out that there was a team within Pricewaterhouse who was kind of looking more at you know, the systems and the applications and control and some of the you know, in your early security um, around, around systems, that piqued my interest, and so I, um, um, you know, I kind of I pursued getting into, in, into that organization. You figured you'd rather actually play with the systems instead of just asking people and, and auditing them about their systems? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, well, yeah. You know, and uh, you know, I, you know, there's there's a whole another story about how I got in, you know, got actually got into Price Waterhouse, and you know, actually I was in, yeah, I was a, yeah, I was an engineering major in college, um, you know, but um, on the engineering side, you know, there, you know, there, I just I, I found um, I found there to you know not be a lot of cute girls, and <laughs> you know, these. At that time, at least, it was you know very male dominated. Yep. Um, and so I moved in, you know, into the business school and um, okay. and, I, and, I, and I focused on uh, and I focused on um, I focused on accounting and I thought I could get a job you know in accounting and I was always good at math and, it, and honestly it was a little it was, it was kind of easy. Right. <laughs> at least initially, it got it got difficult later. Um, but I but I, 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 I got into the IS side in, 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 the, in the accounting school and that was. Uh, that was interesting, and kind of what actually eventually led to me getting into Price Waterhouse, and uh, and I think that um, and even though I got on, on the audit side of Price Waterhouse, the system side was really where my you know was really where my interests were, you know. And once I found that I could apply more of the system side and the creativity side, you know, to my job um, versus kind of financial audit, um, you know, that was a whole lot more intriguing to me. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned doing engineering and then accounting in school. Where did you go to school? Uh, uh, CSU, I'm nice. a Ram. Yeah. Rams. That's right. Uh, so, are you from Colorado originally, or? Uh, I, I am predominantly. I moved around a bit when I was younger, uh, but you know, mostly grew up in Fort Collins. Nice. You know, and then and then you know, went to work. You know, for the uh, you know, Denver, you know, Denver practice. You know, after uh, after I graduated. Nice. Yeah. So, spend some time there, and then what did you do after that? At, at Price Waterhouse. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you know, so Price Waterhouse, you know, so you know, they, um, so so I got into the, I got into the, the, um, the, you know, EDP audit practice, and actually part, you know, part of the other motivation for that, and the way that actually I first, I first, you know, learned of that practice was there was a, a New York Times article, um, where they, where you know, they, you know, were interviewed, um, I, I believe, you know, George Kurtz, you know, okay. who, you know, the founder of CrowdStrike right. now was, you know. Um, and he was, and he was the top, um, you know, ethical hacker at Price Waterhouse, and was really kind of forming their ethical hacking team. And, and that's actually what you know really most piqued my interest. You know, was wow, there's this group in Price Waterhouse where they're, you know, they're actually, you know, getting paid to try to, you know, you know break into networks and you know, test security. Um, you know, I've always had a little bit of a you know, mischievous bent. 
Right. Um, um, and so I was, I was really intrigued by that, and that, and that's what really you know kind of yeah that's where, that was actually the you know, the impetus to try to go in, into the EDP you know audit side of PW because that's where the security practice was. It's my path over there because I eventually I wanted to eventually be you know you know you know an ethical hacker um, yeah. and, and and kind of learn how to do penetration testing and. And that's eventually what happened. Eventually, I got into the into the into the, into the Internet Security Services practice um, that was really forming in Price Waterhouse, um, and um, and then you know got trained up on you know how to do you know, penetration testing and you know, you know application vulnerability um, you know you know you know you're testing and. And these were really you know, early days in cyber. I mean, this is when you know, corporate America, you know, was you know connecting themselves to the internet. Right. And and they were like, what's this? What's this mean for us? Um, you know, you know, how you know, you know, how, you know, how are we going to defend ourselves? You know, and this was you know, you know, this is when you know, you know, this this you know, the, the projects I was on, a lot of them were like, you know, we need to choose a firewall. You know, so I remember doing you know, you know, you know, you know, firewall product selection projects. You yes. know, for choosing that first firewall that they were going to put in place to um, protect themselves from the internet. Yeah. Yeah, we, uh, I, I actually, it's funny, I had a, a pretty similar path and I was working at IBM and had a sort of an entry level job there. And one of the guys on my team left to go work in the, the IBM MSS group um, at, to go do ethical hacking at the time. And I was like, whoa, wait, that exists? Yeah. Someone yeah. will pay right. you to go do exactly. that? Exactly. <laughs> and I was like, that is really cool. And yeah. then I eventually made my way over into that group too. Yeah, okay. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah, it, no, I, I think, uh, yeah, it's... And, and I think... I'm sure a lot of people, it, it's happened that way because, you know, that's the, the cool, sexy, you know, fun side of security, right? Yes. It, it's, you know, yeah. it, it's where all the flash is. And I mean, at least on the outside, I think we all know doing the actual testing of that kind of stuff. It, it's not really, um, it, it's not like movie style where, you know, you're banging out a keyboard and then all of a sudden, you know, things happen. Um, but, I, you know, I think from the outside, that's, that's what everybody sees as fun. And I mean, even when, today when I'm interviewing uh, you know, people for internships and things like that. It's, oh yeah, I want to be a penetration tester. That right. that looks yeah. so exciting. Yeah, so. yeah, but it's but yeah, you, you, you do the work. You realize there's there's, you know, there's a lot of work there and, right. and, and repetition and you know and, and 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 when I look back on you know and on kind of how I got to where I eventually got to more on the software side. I think it actually began you know Price Waterhouse. I, I attribute some of my success to actually being lazy. <laughs> um, That's good <laughs> because. Uh, well, so, yeah, so, yeah, so I remember going in and doing, you know, you know, doing pen tests. And we'd use like the the, the tone low, you know, you know, you know, war dialer. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, this piece, you know, this piece, of, you know, piece of software, you know, that would, you know, just you could load in, you know, your, you know, your ranges of phone numbers, and it would just sit there and dial and dial and dial. Yeah. And then it output a file, and and then you know we were doing previously was like looking at this long, you know, all, all the output of this. We might have dialed, you know, ten thousand numbers to see if we got, you know. A modem on the other end of it, and or or anything back you know, from that from that connection. And so I built a tool to bring all that data in, analyze it, um, and you know, to allow us to stream you know, streamline our, you know, our, our 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 war dialing projects. Nice. And so I became kind of a prolific tool developer within the within the, within Price Waterhouse and began to build different tools and pieces of software that began to accelerate um, the service delivery and also began to differentiate our services. It, um, anything that would have made it outside of PwC that people would know? Uh, well, yeah, the the you know, the thing I built at PwC last was was called the Enterprise Security Architecture System or ESAS, okay. which Price Waterhouse actually eventually sold that out of um, out, 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 out spun it out spun it out of PW, um, yeah. and it was very early GRC. Um, okay, and at, at at that time I was fortunate to work with just some of the some of the leading best minds you know in in. Uh, in cyber, you know, cyber security, Price Waterhouse had the best, you know, the best team. Um, this is back in about uh, 2000, or you know, 1994 to about 1997, um, okay. and uh, and so we had some of the best minds in cybersecurity developing, you know, standards for all these controls, you know, with all these different technologies. So we would look at, you know, RACF, and we look at Unix, and we'd look at all the technology at the time, and and, and we document all the different controls, the best practices, and I built a technology that brought all this together and we could then provide best practices and you know, you know, policy structures and standards yeah. you know, to go and you know, assess and then help companies lock down their technologies um, in ways they just previously weren't you know, yeah. th you know, thinking about. And uh, that, um, you know, that, that, that technology eventually is you know, what got me to my next job, which was you know, Ernst & Young, um, where Ian Y came after 
uh, came after uh, myself and a couple other people um, to to go you know help uh, build their national cybersecurity practice. Um, and then and the one person that the my, my boss at the time was John Darbyshire, um, who you know went with the Ian Y and John Darbyshire. Then after Ian Y went on to start Archer, um, okay, you know, the GRC because that was John's passion. But John came to me and Price Waterhouse and said, "I have this idea for you know GRC. You know we'd call it GRC back then." He said, "I have this idea, and you built these other cool tools. Right. Can you build this?" And so I built that for him, um, and you know, kind of evolved it and took some of his vision and ideas and, and, and built this, you know, this, uh, this, this, uh, you know, early GR, you know, early GRC product, which you know, eventually got us to uh, then E and Y and building out their national team. Nice. Yeah. And so stayed there for a little bit. Where did you go after E and Y? Is this? Starting to go out on your own yet, or you yeah, no. So you know, so you know, so you know, so so at E and Y, you know, E and Y, you know, E and Y's and I also pivoted more into software. So I built the software team there, and we built like a, you know, a portal called eSecurity Online and some you know early managed vulnerability um, you know, service you know, solutions. But uh, after E and Y, um, I then went out to Counterpane, um, and so okay. I was uh, I was in Kansas City for, e, for 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 E and Y. Then I went out to the Bay Area for Counterpane, and Counterpane was one of the um, first uh, you know, MSSPs. Um, it's founded by, you know, by by Bruce Schneier, yep. and it's a chance to go work with you know all, some other just you know incredible minds I mean, in, in in cybersecurity. I've been, been very fortunate and blessed to um, just have been able to work with some really great, talented people um, to uh, and to uh, you, know, you know learn from them and be you know, you know along for the ride. And uh, you know Counterpain, you know, that was you know I, I helped to really build out their backends, you know their backend SEM um, called Socrates, you know which would take all this, all the sensor data that they you know, that they would collect, um, they built their own sensor, aggregate it, um, look for signals in that data that might indicate a threat's present, you know, and then inform their stock operators that they saw threats and, you know, deliver, this, you know, deliver, you know, typical MSSP um, services. Yep. Um, you know, and that's where I, I would say first got really introduced to the, the promise and opportunity around log data and analytics. Right. And that's, I think, where some of the ideas for logarithm began to form, you know, was through, was through, was through that experience. Nice. Yeah, we, funny, so I had, again, I had a similar experience, although I wasn't necessarily the one building it out. You know, at, at IBM, we went through a process of building our own back-end infrastructure to manage all the alerts yeah. that we were using sure. for our, our yeah. MSS and did that for a while, and it was a, a it was interesting. And then, uh, you know, started using some other products and went through that whole life cycle and, and that sort of thing, too, so that, that's kind of fun. So, yeah, yeah, indeed. So you, uh, so from Counterpain, um, then you decided, uh, is this when you left to start Logarithm, or? No, not, you know, not, um, not, not, not immediately. So, you know, so Counterpane, that's when I began to have some, some ideas around analytics, you know, and that's when yeah. I say, you know, a key, a key idea, idea began to form, and that was more the application of science to the problem, where, I, where my premise was, you know, at that time we were doing things like, you know, mapping the human genome and, 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 you know, and solving other complex, you know, big data problems, um, early big data problems. And, and I, you know, I, I didn't quite understand, you know, why can't we seem to detect threats in the environment and threats in data when we can solve some of these other analytics you know, problems? Right. And so, you know, I, I, I had this idea, we need to begin looking at more scientific um, approaches um, to, you know, to network security um, and principally around data analytics. And that's actually wh where the conversation with you know, the co-founder began um, with Phil. Uh, Phil was, a, was, a, was a, a mutual friend and, you know, I'd come back to Colorado with my buddies and go camping and stuff like that. And um, I talked to Phil around the campfire, you know, after a few beers and tell him the things that I was, you know, thinking about and seeing. And he was doing his PhD in physics at CU. Okay. And he was doing some signals analysis and intelligence and, you know, analyzing particles and things coming off nuclear warheads and <laughs> to see if, as, as he put it, they would still go bang. Yeah. After <laughs> um, sitting in a silo for 20 years. Um, and that's kind of where our conversation started, um, you know, was, you know, you're kind of, you know, his, you know, kind of physics and scientific background and kind of my thought of, I think we need to apply some of the things we're doing on the, on the, on the scientific, you know, world to the computer security world. Um, but a counterpane, um, um, you know, I felt that I wasn't quite, after counterpane, I wasn't quite ready to start my own company because I, I built, at this point, a lot of different, you know, software and a pretty good 
comfort that I could build technology that mm -hmm. seemed to have you know, to resonate um, and, and, and meet a need. But I didn't really have a go-to-market skill set, and so I, I went to work um, um, for Enterosis Networks, who mm. had just recently acquired the Dragon IDS, and you know I went there to good old Enterosis Dragon. Yeah, yes. it's a, it's, yeah, it's a good product. Yeah. Um, so I went there to you know pick up the product management skill set and also work with Ron Gula, um, you know who was the founder of uh, right. of, of, uh, of Dragon and you know, then later Tenable, and and so there I got deeper knowledge in product management, go to market, you know, and it also just got deeper into kind of the you know, state of the art around intrusion detection. Nice. Yeah. All right, so I think we've finally gotten there. This, yeah. this is your background, and now you yeah. go and start Logarithm. Yeah, so, yeah. So yeah. this, uh, did you just feel like you finally got to the point where, okay, I, I've got the, the building skills, I've got the, you know, the business skills or, or other things like that, you know, we should take a shot at, at building this ourselves? Yeah, that's you know that that's that's yeah that's that's pretty much it. Um, yeah, I think, you know, after about a year and a half, you know, with Dragon and, and through some other things that uh, that were going on at the time, um, kind of got to the you know the conclusion of it's time to it's time to jump and try and time and time to do this. Um, and um, I came back to Colorado um, to kind of you know think about you know you know you know how you know, how to get this thing going. And, and Phil was. Uh, Phil was there, and Phil and I began talking again, and and, and he's wrapping up his PhD um, and about to um, you know, do his dissertation. And I said, "Hey, you know, I got this idea. What do you think about coming out to DC for three weeks, and um, you know, after you give your your dissertation, and we will, you know, maybe take a shot and see if we can go build something um, that we can maybe turn into business." And so, you know, Phil was interested. He didn't want to go into academia and. And uh, flew up to DC um, in September, you know, September 2002, and um, I spent three weeks um, around my kitchen you know, table, you know, kitchen table in, uh, you know, in my home, and we and we built out what we called the Vector Analysis Engine or VAE, which um, you know we you know, we had some authentication data, okay. and um, you know, Phil found an outlier detection algorithm from Bell Labs. Um, and we applied it to the data with the, you know, the, you know, the theory um, that, if, you know, the, that we could see patterns in that data that might indicate in a user was, uh, was, was, you know, his behavior had shifted across time, which might indicate they'd become a threat. Uh, and so this was, you know, you know today what we call very early UEBA. Right. Uh, and that was really the first thing we did. And, and uh, you know, and that gave us, you know, some, you know, some hope that there's, there's, you know, there's something here. Um, with this kind of this, this kind of vision around more of an analytics-driven approach to uh, uh, cybersecurity. So uh, that that's really interesting. Did that actually make it into the f the earlier versions of the product? So were, were you doing you know in quotes UEVA uh, early on, or was that more of a proof of concept, and then you you went some different ways in, yeah. in the product? Well, so yeah, well, yeah. So the the well, yeah, what we quickly determined is, is we, is we said, you know, hey, you know, okay, we, we, we're, we're seeing things in the data, you know, things that, one, nobody else was even looking for at that time, and nobody was really detecting at that time. And, and so we had to ask ourselves, well, how are we gonna, you know, build a product out of this? You know, what are we, what are we gonna do with this? And the conclusion we came to was really, was really two paths, you know, was to one, per, you know, maybe we could go and, you know, build the analytics, maybe go sell it, you know, to a SEM vendor like ArcSight, because ArcSight was really right. just starting to come to market yeah. um, around this time, um, uh, or reinvent SEM. And, and, we, and, and we ultimately determined that we had to reinvent SEM, because even if we had, could, you know, could, we would have built it and sold it to ArcSight, ArcSight didn't have the right data platform to take advantage of our analytics mm -hmm. um, vision or our engine because you know what we built um, then and what we knew we you know we needed to build and what the industry needed was was analytics on top of the universe of data and you know back in those days some was was you know really solely interested in exception based data you know some was first you know Right. Developed to just deal with you know false positive overload from IDS systems. Right. You know, they had taken other security device you know vents, but it was more the vent layer um, of uh, from systems telling me there might be something wrong. And to do behavioral modeling and to do deeper um, like scenario based modeling, you need access to the non exception based data, the things that normally happen every single day, all right. the log data. And so we knew we had to build a different platform. 
um, that could collect a broader set of data and apply anal analytics across all of it. And that's and then, so that's what we set out to do. And so we actually spent you know those first you know those first few years building the data platform um, that would allow us to eventually get back to the class of analytics we wanted to realize. So how did you guys early on, how, how did you fund the company? Was this uh, out of your own pockets? Did you? Uh... Yeah, I sold my house. Yeah? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, luckily, you know, the, the markets were going up and I had bought a house, I moved out there and had about 100,000 in, you know, in, uh, in equity in the home, sold it, and um, you know, kind of emotionally got to the point of, of being willing to say that $100,000, I'll put all of that into into um, into logarithm, or at that time the company's actually called Security Conscious. Um, Interesting. I don't know that I knew that. Yeah. <laughs> and then um, logarithm, you know, we 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 got logarithm as the product name. Okay. Uh, but the company name was originally Security Conscious. Um, you know, with kind of a little, you know, your Security Conscious, and also also the Security Conscious. Um, yeah. So you know, even back then we knew that AI was the future, um, right. and that was you know that analytics, you know, AI um, that things we're doing in the human, you know, in the, from, a, from a human cognitive perspective needed to move into, you know, into, into, the, into the machine. So uh, how long were you guys able to run sort of bootstrapped like that? And was it just you and Phil or did you bring on yeah. some other people? Uh, well, you know, I mean, initially, I mean, initially, you know, I wasn't even gonna, I wasn't even gonna write software. I mean, I, you know, I'd written some software, but you know, you know, I'd say my software was, you know, it was more on the you know, POC proof of concept uh, type level um, tools. But um, then, and so we had a couple of, uh, of engineers who were like professional engineers and right. you know, they were gonna work for equity and you know, evenings and weekends and, and ended up not working out you know, because they, they, you know, they had jobs and families. Right, It's hard to ask people to, you know, it's hard to expect somebody to be able to put enough time in the evenings and weekends um, they already have a forty-hour, uh, forty-hour, you know, forty-hour week job. So, so eventually we realized we got, you know, we just got to do this. And and uh, and you know, Phil, you know, had, um, had done programming, you know, in, in his past, and and um, was it was proficient in, uh, in C and C plus plus. And and so eventually, so I, you know, I asked Phil, hey, teach me how to you know, teach me object-oriented programming. And I picked up some books and yeah. kind of got uh, you know got deeper into it. And then Phil and I just began to uh, write a lot of software. So yeah. for two years, you know, we you know, we bootstrapped and we wrote we wrote we wrote the collection layer, um, you know, we wrote the data processing layer, our first indexing, um, you know, you know, technology, you know, put a UI on top of you know, for search and you know, data, and data and data analytics, um, and got to uh, you know version 2.2, in which in early 2005 we you know, we were ready to ready, ready to sell. Okay. And managed to land our first customer, um, and and uh, by that time we'd moved from D.C. to Boulder. Um, you know, me being from Colorado, um, Phil had done his Ph.D. here. You know, we, you know, one day we're in D.C. Like, why are we here? I mean, right. Once this you know becomes successful, you know, we'll be trapped here. So yeah. we had a chance to you know we, we kind of give the conclusion of we can this this company can be anywhere where we can eventually hire you know hire engineers, and so we. Moved back to Boulder, and um, but then, and then in uh, and then in you know, May 2005, landed our first customer, Wall Street, Wall Street on Demand, um, you know, who wrote us a forty thousand dollar check you know, for our software. And that was a big day. I bet because the money was gone. Hundred thousand. <laughs> it's no more. Okay. I want you to be a customer. I don't. I don't care what you pay me. You just need to pay me something so that yeah, I can get some right. money. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the best part though was I mean, I was, you know, I was, I was, you know, some, some crafty things, but the, you know, the list price on that deal was two hundred forty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> so we give them a big discount, but, but we charge, we charge maintenance, you know, on list. <laughs> that's good. You, that's smart. That's very yeah, smart. Yeah, um, but they yeah. they were they were a great first customer. Um, great to work with. They actually gave us you know some uh, some some office space eventually because they were growing and we moved out and they gave us some class A space to move into and. They were, uh, they were, yeah, they were, they were, they were really good to us. Nice. Yeah. So, um, you are, you're, you're now in the process. You have, you have a little money in your pocket, at least for the time being. You're starting to build the company. Yep. Did you guys actually have an office at this point? Are you, you hiring people? Are you, uh, are you still bootstrapping? Yeah. And you know, 
wearing all the hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, yeah, so that time, at that time, you know, we were in, you know, in a in a four hundred square foot you know office above Perry's Auto Body in Boulder. <laughs> you know, had two two little offices and a little lab area with all of our yeah. cheap computers. You know, that we bought, you know, on uh, you know secondhand from secondhand shops. Um, you know, run our software, um, but yeah, and then, yeah, but you know, once we in and you know, once we got our first customer, we got some cash coming in. You know, at that time, I'd pivoted from you know to write some software, but also beginning to do you know sales, and so I was cold calling, building pipeline, um, and and yeah, you know, we were getting and we went to a trade, you know, we went to a, a first trade show, and you know, and we had some interest, and, and we landed then our second customer, and we landed for third customer. But we realized that we needed to scale the business faster. Um, that you know that what we built was resonating, and in fact, there was a company that was you know, coming to market, um, you know, fast and furiously, um, out of the out of the valley, um, Log Logic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know who had you know who we you know we saw their you know their venture capital, you know, Series A, Series B announcements, and next thing you know, they've had 50, 50 million in, in capital. And, and and you know their website is sounding a lot like ours, but just a whole lot more polished. Yeah. And uh, and so we, we realized you know we we need to we need to, we we need to accelerate. Um, and uh, to help you know do that, I mean, fortunately I um I'm, my, I'm a tennis player and on my tennis team there's this guy Andy Grolnick, who was you know a you know just a, a blue chip executive you know you know in the area you know and had been a senior executive in, in, in some of the you know you know local high tech companies around here. And uh, began talking to him, and uh, eventually convinced him to uh, you know to join us, you know, as our uh, as our CEO um, to help us, uh, you know, where you know Andy could you know, really help us go raise capital, focus on the sales and marketing side, um, which would then allow Phil and I to really focus on the product and technology yeah. side, and. Uh, and then Andy joined us in September of that year. Of, what of, year was this? Of, this of, is 2005. And uh, you know, and then we began to um, you make plans for doing an angel round, and 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 uh, started developing a plan to you know start scaling the company up. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Um, and so you guys obviously have been been growing ever since then. Um, Sort of the the end result of that this year, you guys um, you were acquired by Tama Bravo. Yep. Um, which congratulations. That, yeah, thank that, you. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah it is. Um, I, I wonder if you w- would talk a little bit about um, you know that process and you know how things have changed or um, you know what benefits you're seeing from this, other things like that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, so you know we you know we have been you know kind of looking at different options um, you know, for the company from a you know just kind of a you know, you know longer term you know, kind of capitalization perspective you know I mean you know the company it's been around for a long time and so you know we you know, had our fifteenth you know fifteen year anniversary this year and you know we're venture backed and so we had investors who you know are looking to um, have liquidity events you know and you know, we had our investors you know were. We had just a great class of investors, um, you know, you know, you know, across the board. Uh, but you know, we we did we did need to get to an event where there was you know liquidity for our investors and shareholders, and there's the public public market you know public market options, and we looked at that and evaluated that, and then there's you know, you know there's you know you know, private equity, um, and after kind of you know, weighing all the options, and after kind of having met with Tom Bravo and kind of understanding. Um, you know how they operate and, and how they and how they invest in helping companies go to the next level, um, and and get there without you know some of the um, you know you know, downsides of being a public company. Uh, it was you know became you know very you know you know attractive and interesting opportunity um, and, and and way to move forward with with a, with a great partner uh, that can you know help us continue to you know, scale the business. Um, execute our roadmap, um, keep innovating for customers, um, and and you know, and ultimately, you know, just realize, you know, the our you know our you know our um, you know you know full vision, which is just to be the you know the you know hands down platform leader for next gen SEM, um, where you know Forrester just recognizes as you know as 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 first um, in their recent wave, and you know, we've been you know in the top three with Gartner for many years now. You know, we, you know, we just want to be. The undisputed best when it comes to um, next gen SEM and run the sock. Nice. So, it, yeah, you're you're talking about the future and you know your roadmap and, and that sort of thing. What what sort of things do you guys have on the horizon that are going to put you in that um, 
that number one position. I mean, you're, you know, Forrester thinks you're, you're there already, but how are you yeah. going to stay there? What, what cool things do you guys have uh, coming up? Yeah, you know, so I mean, it's, you know, it, you know, the, we continue to invest heavily in analytics. You know, so, you know, the, you know, you know, you know nobody, no technology, you know, has gotten to the point of being able to say, we'll give you, you know, you'll have no false negatives with us and you'll have no false positives. Right. Right? I mean, nobody's, nobody's there yet, and that's probably an impossible goal. Um, but we need to get closer. And, 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 and analytics, you know, I believe, is the key, is the key to that. Um, and so we're going to keep innovating there. You know, so we have a lot, have a, have a lot of um, you know, innovation planned for our cloud AI, you know, you know, cloud AI platform, which is where we're really um, you know, you know, investing and innovating in the area of machine learning. And, and so we're, we're looking at you know, modeling broader data sets, looking for different observations in that data, uh, ways in which we can you know, have our ML um, you know, be smarter from a um, you know, supervised learning perspective. Mm -hmm. And so you'll, you're, you're, our customers will see a lot of innovations you know, around cloud AI when it comes to detecting you know, more of the user-borne threats for our UEBA offering, and also the network-borne threat in, in support of our network detection response um, you know, offering. So a lot, you know, so, you know, a lot, lot of work just around analytics and just you know, continuing to push the state of the art in terms of how we use you know, centralized, concentrated collections of vast amounts of machine data across long periods of time to detect those hard to see threats. Yeah. Um, and, and then the other area you know, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, be in, you know, we'll keep innovating in is, is around our you know, SOAR feature set you know, in terms of orchestration and, and, uh, and automation. So we'll continue to further build out our, our, our playbooks features and you know, make it easier, um, even easier to execute more complex orchestrated automated workflows. Um, you know, just keep building out all the integrations you know, that we have with the most common security and devices and enterprise infrastructure um, that allows us to automate you know, various, you know, various you know, mitigations, remediations, um, you know, automate workflows for the analyst. Um, you know, kind of our, you know, our, our goal um, you know, is to, you know, is, is centered, you know, really centers around how do we make security analysts fast. You know, fast through our user experience, fast through workflows, fast access to data, yeah. you know, and then just removing you know, all manual repetitive work that we can through automation. You know, I mean, our kind of, the, way, I mean, the way I think of it is we want to, so we just want to do, you know, do our best to kind of preserve you know, the cognitive cycles you know, of, of people you know, for those problems you know, people can best you know, solve. And let software do the rest. Yeah, do you, do you see yourself getting to the point where, and I don't think you can eliminate it, but you can, um, you can severely cut down the amount of work that say a, a level one analyst would do? Um, you know, you talked about, uh, you know, obviously the outliers, the, the false negatives, false yeah. positives, the cutting down that window. So, um, you know, essentially, you know, you get an alert and that means this is something that you have to, you know, somebody has to do a, a response on because this is something that is real. Um, and which is really the, the, you know, what a level one analyst is doing, right? They're, they're taking that first piece and going, okay, is this real? Is this not real? Yeah, how close do you think that you can get to that? Well, I mean, I think I think you know over time we'll get you know we'll you know we'll get real close to it, and I th and I think the I think the you know, the, the area of analytics that you know talked about you know machine learning behavioral modeling that's an important area, but I think the other area which we which we have focused on historically and where there's just still a lot of innovation um, uh, left in front of us. Is more, I'd say, in the area of like, you know, like, like contextual corroborative analytics. You know, you know, how do we take contextual data um, around a given event? You know, and you know, and the and the, and the various you know um, properties of that event, um, and 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 use that context, you know, through you know, machine-based analytics approaches to automatically corroborate um, and 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 begin to determine. Through software, you know that you know this is this is likely to be a true threat, um, or this is much more likely to be a false positive and a non-threat, and and so I think that's going to be one of the, the big area of, of, of analytics going forward. I think that, you know, the ML side will be very important for more of the behavioral modeling and profiling, but I think you know, deep contextual corroborative analytics, um, you know, where where you know, where you know, the analytics engines are just looking for other data elements around a given event to automatically. Um, you know, you know ra raise or lower a risk score 
um, um, and, and, and determine maybe with certainty that this is absolutely an active threat, I can initiate you know, automation behind that, or it's absolutely a false positive and, you know, and, I, can, and, and, I, can, and I can ignore it. Um, that's a, a big area of needed innovation. I feel like we, I don't know of anybody who does that better than, better than us today. Um, might be, uh, but um, you know, we, we will keep we'll keep innovating there, um, you know, as well because I feel like that's what's going to that's what's required. I think to get to that efficiency of the front line, right? Is they just need to hire pre hire pre qualified corroborated alarms. Yeah, yeah, and you know, as being a customer, um, yeah. you know, I, I love the you know the automation and the smart response stuff that you guys have. And you know, a lot of it now is focused on making the, the analyst's job easier, right? So I, I love that idea that you have of um, you know, more automated analysis, right? So now I could say have a, an automated response that will get me additional data from somewhere else to help yeah. me look at this alarm, um, but it's a person looking at it, right? So I, mean, I would love to see that in the future where instead of a, an analyst having to do those automated yeah. responses to get the data, you know, I mean, it's saving you time to get the yes. data, but you know, the analysis can then go, oh, hey, I need more data around this yeah. and reach out and get more data right. and then can say, oh, uh, nope, now risk is going down because I, I didn't see what I, I needed to see over here. That's right, that's yeah. right. Yeah, that would be really cool. I think there's big opportunity there and, and especially, uh, you know, one of the advantages I feel we actually have as a vendor is, you know, is that we have a big established, you know, install base of people using our soft, our, our product in enterprise socks. Yeah. And we can learn from that. Um, and, and, and we can learn, you know, and, and some of that learning can be applied towards ML based approaches. Um, you know, which, and if you look at like, you know, AI and, and machine learning, access to the data um, and qualified data is critically important. And one of our advantages, I think, from an innovation perspective is we have access to a lot of highly qualified data um, through the workflows happening in, in stocks around the world on our platform. Yeah, no, that's definitely a great advantage. Yeah. Um, we're getting a little bit uh, close to time here. I did want to backtrack slightly. Um, it, it struck me earlier, you know, you when you were talking about bootstrapping the company and yeah. you know having to, to buy you know used PCs to you know to, to get things going, how do you think that it would have been different if you were starting Logarithm today? Um, you've got all of this uh, you know immediate resource with cloud and other things like that, oh, where um, you know instead of having to, to piece together servers that you might you know do to, to you know, test your products on and things like that. You've got all the resources you could possibly want. Um, right. You know, potentially more access to, to capital and, and other things like that today, I think, than probably, you know, 15 years ago, other stuff like that. Yeah. Um, do you think it would have been, do you think it would have been easier? Do you think it would have been harder? Do you think it would have just been different? Uh, well, I mean, I guess it's, you know, there's, there's two different contexts. I mean, if it, if it, if it was, you know, the me, you know, 16 years ago, starting right. today, yeah. um, with you know, in, 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 you, know in, you know, in today's environment, um, certainly would have taken different you know technology approaches. Yeah. Regardless, would do that, right? I mean, I think if, 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 if you know, if I was, you know, starting clean today, definitely be all SaaS, right? Right. You know, um, because I, I do believe that a very meaningful part of the, of the available market, you know, in you know, you know, future next-gen SEM, you know, platform solutions, um, whether it's just the, you know, the foundational log management, you know, the security analytics, you know, SOAR, UEBA, NDR, all of that. Um, if you look at, you know, three, five years, I think at least, you know, probably half the market is going to be in SaaS in terms of new dollars spent. So I would be all in on SaaS. Um, and from an R&D perspective, boy, I mean, SaaS is pretty great. Right. Uh, because you, know, you, 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 know, you largely have you know, one main branch, right? That, uh, and you can, you, know, you, can, you can introduce you know, new features and, and functionality um, in your platform so much more quickly um, without having to necessarily worry about all the permutations in the field and upgrading all of your customers and their versions. Um, and so I think some of the, I think SaaS vendors, um, there's a lot of there's a lot of things to like, you know, from an R and D perspective in terms of sure. if you're going, you know, clean SaaS, and especially um, if you're able to leverage a lot of the cloud native features, you know, you know, go cloud native um, with you know some of the technologies and you know AWS, you know, and, and Google and 
what they can provide that provide that what they what they built that can accelerate your roadmap if you fully embrace their tech stacks. Right. It's really it's really um, um, impressive. Yeah. And so yeah, I mean, d definitely a different technological approach. If it was you know, but if it was you know, kind of me today, starting something, yes, I'd go SaaS. Um, but boy, it'd be so much easier to, to, you know, to raise money. Right. <laughs> you know, and I, and I just, I mean, I have the benefit now of a lot of experience and uh, um, I feel like I have a pretty good idea of the, you know, of the playbook in terms of what it takes to build a company. Nice. Um, so, but, you know, you know, right now I'm very much focused on getting, you know, logarithm to the, uh, you know, to the next level and next gen SIM global dominance. <laughs> One sim vendor. Yeah. That's it. Logger them. Well, there's, there you go. Know, it's good to have competition. Uh, there you go. Um, there you but go. Uh, but ultimately, you know, I just I want to, you know, I, you know, fundamentally, you know, we want to just you know serve our customers, you know, the best possible way. And if we do that really well, you know, the goal of being the just the way that we'll be measured, you know, as the just the hands down, you know, leader in next gen sim is through the customers, our customers saying that to us and telling that to their friends. Right. Right. And and, and that's you know that's the right path through, you know to achieve you know, to, to achieve that ultimate goal. Awesome. Yeah. Well, again, we're just about out of time. Anything that you want to talk about that we didn't cover? No, no, no. This has been this has been really um, you know really enjoyable. Hopefully, hopefully I talked too much about my past and all that. And no, you know, see, yeah, that's, board, that's what people folks. want to hear about. Yeah, they, all you right, know, that's the fun stuff. So, <laughs> all right. Anyway, thanks, Chris. Appreciate your time. It's been great talking to you. Yeah, thanks, thanks, Alex. It's been fun. Uh, this has been Colorado Equal Security, and we will talk to you next time. Learn more about the Colorado security scene at colorado-security.com, where you can see information about local security groups, a calendar of upcoming security events, and learn more about Colorado equals security. Reach out to Alex and Rob by emailing info at colorado-security.com. Until next time, remember, Colorado equals security.